Hi, this is Pastor Jake from Harvest Community Church. We meet on Sundays at 11 a.m. at 18511 East Hampton Avenue, Suite 204. We're located in the Movie Tavern Shopping Center next to the State Farm. You can check us out online at Facebook or on our webpage at harvestcolorado.org. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Incline your ear to my or incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose amongst the dead, like the slain that is lying in the grave, and those who you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the pit of the or depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all of your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I can't even escape. My eye grows dim and those are through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do you depart or do the departed rise up and praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness? Or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted, close to death, from my youth up. I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. You surround me all like a flood all day long. They close in me altogether. You have caused my beloved and my friends to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Not exactly a you know, ray of sunshine on a cloudy day. For all of us uh, in here, we've all had some form of a tough week. And it's interesting that when we all get together to talk, we don't go, hey, what's good this week? The first thing out of our mouths are typically, what's wrong? My elbow hurts. I have a headache. My work sucks. My family relations are terrible. I have finals. My parents don't understand me. We always start our conversations, it seems, with lament. What's wrong? Yet, in our culture, our culture is built around trying to hide all of what is wrong with us. We have uh, countless ways to hide uh, our feelings. We have countless ways to mask our true selves. We have countless ways to deal uh, or to try and shove down all of the things that are going on inside of us. We do not have a place to lament, it seems. So where do we go when we need to lament? Where do we go? Do we go on, on an online chat room? Do we go to Facebook? Do we go to Twitter and let it all out there? Do we go to our friend and call them up and, and, just, and just, you know, let it all out on them? How do we deal with life and with God when He seems to be so distant and sometimes to blame for all of our problems? You notice that the psalmist here didn't mince words very much here. He put all the blame for his problems on God. He said, you're it. You're the reason I'm in this pickle. So how do we deal with it? Well, commonly, there are at least three ways that we try to deal with it on our own. One, we deny it. You know these kind of folks out there that never seem to have anything going wrong with them. They always be on the sunny side of everything. These people annoy me. 
Because it's as if they are simply saying everything is coming up roses, everything is sunshine, and you know that there are rivers of darkness rolling underneath them. You know that somewhere inside of them is a pit of despair that they are just trying to tamp down. Like an overflowing box, you try to keep that lid on all the time. Deny it. The person with a strong face, they always seem to sweep whatever they're dealing with under the rug. The deniers. The second way that we like to deal with it is we wade in and wallow. Many of you may remember that on Saturday Night Live there was a character called Debbie Downer. Debbie Downer would always be at a party somewhere and someone would talk about something. She's like, yeah, I had that too. And then it died. And then they'd have that wah, wah, wah music that would play. Everything was a downer. She would wade right into her sorrow and just unleash everything. You know these kind of folks. You sit down with them at lunchtime. How are you doing? Oh, well. The sun isn't quite out the way I want it to be. Mm. Everything is horrible. Everything is awful. Everything is sad. Eeyore. Eeyore is our uh, wallower. The person who gets into the depths of the, de- of the dregs of everything and just sits in it and rolls around it. And this is their comfort zone, like a, a warm, wet blanket. And it just sits on them and they're just, ugh. So can we deal with it that way? Maybe. But then there's the last one, is to fix it. This is the person who says, I've got something wrong in me. There's all these bad things happening. I'm either high nor low, but I, can, I have the power in myself to fix whatever it is that's going wrong with me. Last year, my furnace nearly broke. And not because of something I did, although uh, it could have been at, at some point. But there was a board that broke. But me, I knew something was wrong. And I wasn't going to deny it, and I wasn't going to wallow in it. I was going to fix it. And thank God for YouTube. Because uh, I was able to kind of diagnose maybe kind of what the problem was. Or at least I could tell the fix-it guy when he came in, this is what's wrong. And I'm sure the fix-it guy does not like guys who go on YouTube to figure out what's wrong with their furnace and then tell them how to do their job. (laughs) But we do that with our emotions too. We do that with the bad things in our lives. We simply look at ourselves in the mirror and say, I've got something wrong with me. Here are the things I'm going to do to fix it. Tomorrow morning I'm going to get up and I'm going to do X, Y, and Z and I'm going to fix it. But it never seems to work out whatever is really wrong inside of us. We never really get there. Psalm 88 is a unique psalm in Scripture because it is a lament. It was written as a song by one of the greatest songwriters of all time in the Hebrew culture. It was written by a guy whose job it was to lead the choruses in worship. It was his job to write the psalm. So he wrote this particular psalm and then he put it to music that was common back in the day. It was like putting a song to Ode to Joy. You know that song? Well, you can put anything to Ode to Joy and sing it. Well, what they did is he took a common song and put this here. And he put this lament out there for a reason. You see, I think God's way for us to deal with our pain is lament. I would dare say that today's psalm means to tell us that lament is a vital thing for us to trust, or a, a vital for us to have a trusting and deeper relationship with God. Here's what I mean. Lament is vital because it's a vehicle for expressing the realness of our pain. When Jen and I were going on our 10th wedding anniversary to Hawaii, um, it was a a trip we'd been planning a long time. And in order to to get to the airport on a particular amount of time, we had to get up really early in the morning. And I remember my alarm getting up or going off and me uh, getting so excited, I got up, 
went to the dresser, pulled out the clothes I needed to go to the bathroom to take a shower to get ready to go. And what did you know it? I slammed my right pinky toe into the dresser. Now this isn't just your normal stub where a few mild swear words come out. This is one of those that you break it. I broke my toe on the way to Hawaii. Now, the sunny side person would simply go, well, I guess that was meant to be. It was all right. It's cool. <laughs> then the wallower, which I nearly was, would lay on the floor and roll around and go, ah! The fix-it guy would be like, I better tape that thing together. Otherwise, it's going to hurt the rest of the day. What I mean to say is that there is a particular way for us to deal with the pain that we have. The psalmist says here, I have a soul full of troubles. He expresses exactly how he's feeling. I have a soul full of troubles. I am part of the walking dead. In fact, I'm lying in the grave looking up at the sky with dirt falling in from the outside. I'm forgotten. I'm hated. I'm a horror to other people. He understands and has a perfect understanding of who he is and what's really going on inside of him. And he does not sweep it under the rug. He says, I am afflicted. I am cursed. I'm a royal mess. I'm abandoned. I am shunned. Have you ever felt that way? As I was reading this this morning, and I know the stories that we all have, I can hear you relating to some of these things. My friends have all abandoned me. My co-workers have left me. My job is gone. My family stability is out the window. Do these painful emotions in the psalm today describe you? Or have they described you? Do you know what this feels like? See, lament is a way for us to take our pain out from behind our souls and our hearts and express them in a way that lifts them as a prayer to God. Lament is God's gift to us to meet, a, uh, to, uh, to meet our pain straight on instead of sweeping it to the side or denying it or wallowing it. It is a way to deal with it right up front. This is what's going on with me today, God. This is where I am. This is how I see things. See, the psalmist constructs this psalm in order to, and puts it to a popular tune, like we said, to help us have a common vehicle for actually dealing with this. There are certain songs that you listen to on the radio that you can think about right now that are those songs of lament that you just tie into right at that moment. Something about that painfulness in that song just hits you in the right spot and you feel it. The psalmist is attempting to get us to feel our pain. Not sweep it aside. It's vital that we deal with it head on. We deal with it and be honest about what we are feeling before God. He already knows. So why try to hide it? The psalmist didn't. But secondly, not only is it a great vehicle for us to express how we're doing, but it also provides a safe place to ask God the tough questions. I know all of you in here, most of you really well, I know that there have been doubts and, and times in your life when you've asked God the very hard questions. Why? You know, when we get in, uh, uh, there's this common conversation that we had. In fact, we had it on Thursday at uh, rehearsal. Whose fault is it? We were looking at this psalm from a different point of view and we were looking at it like, well, who caused these pains? Who did the psalmist cheese off in order to have his friends leave him? What did he do? Whose fault is it? And I love that point of view. Because we like to assign blame. We want to know who did it. Whose fault is it? Who caused this to happen? Who sinned? 
Remember, there was a question that Jesus was posed with. He, there was a guy who was blind from birth, and the people said, well, whose fault is this? Did his parents sin or did somebody else do it? We want to know. We want a place to ask the hard questions of God. We want to play outside, we want to play armchair quarterback half the time when we look at our own situations and situations of others. We want to figure out who's to blame. Why does a good God allow suffering to occur? Why does he why does he take my job away? Why does he take my loved ones away? Why does he allow my finances to hit the, the skids? Why does he make my job get sent off to a foreign country when I am perfectly good here? Why do you cast my soul away? He asks. Why do you hide your face from me? Why have you caused this pain? Why have you caused all of my closest friends to leave me? Why did all those people leave? I ask that one a lot. Why do you bless others while all I get is dark places? Why am I in this grave? Yet in the places of such tough questions, we are not treated to answers. If you notice in this psalm, it's not as if God answers. And that is very disconcerting. We want God somewhere in a burning bush or a voice from the sky or a text message to come in and say, I heard your prayer, here's why. We don't hear why. And I dare say I'd be afraid to get the answer. Job asked these very questions in the book of Job. And God answered him in one of my favorite lines that I'm paraphrasing. He says, you better put your big boy pants on. It's time to go down. It's time to hear the holy smackdown. Here's, here's why. And God begins to open up this panoply of, of, of reasons why he's God and Job is not. I think half the time we ask the questions, but we're afraid of if God actually answered us what he would say. And I think in his mercy, in some way, he leaves those, some of those questions unanswered at this time. And while that seems completely unsatisfactory to some of us, it's just the way God works. I think thirdly, though, it's important to understand this, and not only is it a vehicle for our, our dealing with our pain, it's also a great place to ask the hard questions. But it's also... Lament is vital because it reveals the contents and the loves of our heart. I heard this the other day by a spiritual director. His name is John Coe. And I'll make his stuff available to any of you who would like to read it. It's fantastic. But he says, Emotions are terrible leaders, but they're great windows. Emotions are terrible leaders, but they are great windows. And I think what he seems to mean by that is that Lament allows us to express the emotions of sorrow and grief and upsetness and things that are getting us down. But they are not places for us to follow in the we're not see where that goes, but what we're to do is look and say, what do these emotions are they attached to? And how are they revealing the love of my heart? And is God purging these loves out of my heart and they are painful? He shows me what I love more than God. It's like a light bulb moment after the lament is through and it hangs like in the air like smoke. You ever done this before where you're presented with something about yourself that you don't particularly like and somebody else has pointed out to you and you go uh, somewhere else, be it your car, be it uh, another place, and you just have it out. I'm not like that. And you're a throw it. I mean, if... 
the car headliner of our cars could speak, oh, the stories they would tell. But it seems like in that moment, right after we're done uttering the last thing, that light bulb comes on and you really do see yourself properly and you go, oh, I'm an idiot. I really love this more than anything else. And God is trying to work through me and pull this away from me so that my love is around Him as the center of my universe. And that the rearranging of the constellations of what I love is not an easy process. Emotions are terrible leaders but great windows. And lament allows us to express all of this stuff, get it out there in the open, and it's as if God and His Holy Spirit come through and say, yes, I understand. Here's what it is. Here's where your heart is. And here's where I want to take it. And it is not an easy thing to do. Lament. And while we can express all this stuff to God, while we can write our prayers out, while we can get into the nitty-gritty and just let it out, we can go to a trusted friend or a spiritual director and tell them all these things, lament will always only ever be one side of the coin of reality. Just as if you, when you look at yourself in the mirror, you only see it one way, and when somebody else looks at you, they see it the opposite side of things and give you a better, fuller picture of reality. We only see the picture on our end because we have a skewed understanding of what's good and what's bad. When our kids were much smaller, we weaned them off of their pacifiers. And for parents, we remember what that was like with our kids. It, some, of it, some parents are still trying to wean their children. Um, but there, are, there is this process where you have to kind of take it away from them. And they hate that. And they cry and they fuss and they throw temper tantrums. And there are days and times you just want to stick it back in their mouth so they shut up. There. Done. But unless we wean them off of that thing, they'll never grow. They'll never become more than they actually are. Because we see the picture of what they could become. And that weaning must be, that thing must be removed in order to have the next thing so they'll grow. They hate it. All they see is mom and dad are evil and mean. They hate me and they're taking my pacifier away. You see, we generally consider anything that benefits us without pain as good. Paychecks and jobs and all the things that that are good for us that we come in that benefit me without much pain, that's good. Comfort, community, and ease of life. We all consider those things good things. And we generally consider anything that causes us pain and discomfort without understandable purpose to be bad. We have a skewed understanding of what good and bad are. All things in this lament are bad, it seems. But God has a different perspective. God seems to tell us here that pain has a purpose. See, generally pain and suffering either come from consequence or circumstance. A result of something I did wrong or a result of something that somebody else may have done wrong or a force outside of myself. Circumstance and consequence. And while both generally different, or both have, or different origins, both generally have the same purpose and move us, and the intent is to move us into a closer relationship with God through a purging. God comes in in the midst of all these laments and He's doing a work inside of us. And He has to do that by removing things from us that are hindering us from a better relationship with Him in a deeper, closer walk with Him. 
It seems that pain and suffering are often God's ways of getting our attention. See, in the dull and the comfort, the dullness of comfort, we forget God. It seems that God pulls us out of that through painful experiences in order to get our attention inwardly and externally sometimes. And often our lament is just an expression of God's of our sadness at God's purging of us of the things that we crave more than God. See, God sees it from a different perspective though. He looks at us like a shepherd, like a parent. He sees the whole and He invites us to trust Him in the journey through it. If you look at Psalm 23, which I looked at again this morning, it starts off with a picture of trust. The Lord is my, I shall not. There's a reason David wrote that psalm the way he did. Because he was a shepherd, and he understands from the point of, the, or point of view of the shepherd against the sheep, he knows that he must be good towards them for them to trust him. See, he establishes the goodness and care of God for the people. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is after my goodness and after what, all the good things that need to happen. But sometimes, in order for the good to happen, something must be taken away. Something must be purged. Because sometimes the green pastures and the still waters dry up. And the fields become brown and there's no good use staying there anymore. And while all the comfort seems to be right in front of me, the shepherd says, this will dry up soon. And the next thing for you lies through this painful experience, lies through this painful valley of the shadow of death. Do you trust me? Do you trust me that the pain that you will suffer momentarily through the leaving of this good thing for the next good thing it's worthwhile. Do you trust me? The only way the next place of rest and recreation is through the journey through pain and fear. And all rests on the trust that the psalmist has in God. It reminds me of Jesus' laments in the Garden of Gethsemane. Oh Lord, if you could just take this from me, I don't want to go through this. I don't want to carry the sin and the burden of all billions of people and all of their pain and suffering and all of the things they have done to separate themselves from you. You want me to carry this for them. I can't do this. Is there another way? In silence. You know, as God didn't bother to answer his question. The only way for our good to come of it is for one person to carry the sins of the whole world upon his shoulders. And yet in the end of that, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Not as I will, but as you will. You see, to us, this looks like torture. Senseless and cruel. But because of Jesus taking our sin at the cross, going through the valley of the shadow of death, through Gethsemane, it allows us to have a trust in God that supersedes all of our pain and suffering. Yet, though He slay me, will I trust Him, as Job says later. Now remember that at the very beginning of this psalm, O Lord, God of my salvation. You see, in the beginning of this psalm, He trusts God. And then he lays it all out there. But in the beginning, he anchors himself onto the salvation characteristic of God, the God of the who is my rescuer, the God who is my fortress in time of need. God is asking you to trust him in your pain. In your dark night of the soul, God is asking you to trust him. 
So how do we do that? Three things, and we'll close. Number one, let it fly. Let it fly. What do I mean by that? Be honest. Be honest about your pain. In prayer, let God have it. I remember my, an old friend of mine who went to India, and I probably told this story before, but she went to India with this whole idea of, of being a missionary there and, and, letting, uh, and leading tons of people to Jesus and, and seeing worlds or uh, neighborhoods transformed by the power of God. And in the month or so that she was there, none of it happened. In fact, every day was a heartache. Every day she woke up on the same cold concrete floor and she let God have it. God, why did you lead me here? This is not what I expected. I can't, nothing good is happening. Why am I here? Have you ever done that? Have you ever sat down on your bed or in your car or in a private place and said, this is not fair, God. Why, 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 why? And just lay it out. Let it fly. God is big enough to handle your pain and suffering. If He can handle, oh God, let, don't let me die for the sins of humanity. I think He can handle, oh God, fill in the blank, whatever it is you're dealing with. Let it out. Use the words of the psalmist. Use your own, but be honest. Let it, let it fly. Just let it go. Get it out. Secondly, lay it down. After you've spent your emotional tank on this lament and laying it out before God what is bothering you and what is going on in your life lay it down you see the other side of lament matters there are so there are only so many tears you can cry there's only so many so much yelling you can do when your voice is hoarse and nothing else comes out there's only so much ink that you can pen only so many words you can say See, God-focused lament should lead to God-focused surrender. When we are done, when the psalmist completes, when we are done and we sit in the silence and we wait, it is a time of surrender. Just as the way Jesus waited, and He said, Not my will, but yours be done. It is a surrender. It's a time to put your trust in God, to see, uh, have Him see you through the death valley or the impossible obstacle, through the dark forest or through the dark night of the soul. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This is the prayer of surrender. Though you slay me, never shall I trust you. The prayer of surrender is one that says, Lord, I don't know where we're going, but you have a better idea than I do. Take me on this journey. Take me on a journey where you lead, I will follow, I will leave behind what you are removing from my life in order to have a deeper walk with you to a greater place. Where are we going? See, surrender sees the pain of circumstance or consequence as an opportunity for the Spirit of God to take us on a journey. You are all on a journey somewhere, and God is leading you. Some of us He's dragging, some of us are walking. But either way, He's taking us through that place. And lastly, lead with the body. And this one's really hard for us, and I'll explain what I mean. If you notice in the psalm, the psalmist says, Every day I call upon you. In the morning, my prayer comes to you. You see, the psalmist persists in prayer, even in his pain. Because he's got nowhere else to go. He understands that he can't fix it, he can't hide it, he can't deny it, and he can't put a brave face on. He only knows that up is where God is, and that's where he's going. 
every time. Persist. There's something to be said about continuing in the disciplines of the Christian life. There's something to be said about in the midst of your pain and suffering, persisting in church attendance, in coming and worshiping. There's something to be said about in the worst times of your life, continuing to pray, even when you don't feel like it. Because in those things that you do, those concrete physical acts, communion, community, prayer, worship, reading the scriptures, hanging out with other believers. It's in those places that God works. These are the ways that we, are, that we lead with the body in order to surrender to God's work within us. Great spiritual leader uh, Dallas Willard says, spiritual disciplines are what you do when you know you can do nothing. God is leading me along the way, but in order for me to surrender daily, I, can, I will come and lead with my body in order that my heart will be open to see what God is doing inside of me and through me in the midst of my pain. They are the acts of faith in God's, uh, in God's faithful leading us from moment to rest.